0: You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. All right, today's Bible reading. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know that very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus.
1: Thanks, Rob. Uh, If I don't know you, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, DPC. Uh, it'd be great if you don't already have that passage open from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, please do open it up. Uh, there's some Bibles around, so please uh, open it up. Uh, it'd be great if you could follow along uh, as I preach this morning. Uh, there's an outline of my talk uh, on the church welcome card. I can't remember whether I mentioned that, but you can follow it up there via the Sundays tab on the church website. Uh, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the chance to gather together as your people. Uh, We know that you gather us, that you might speak to us uh, and encourage us and correct us and uh, spur us on in trusting and following your son. Uh, And so we pray that you would do that by the power of your word and your spirit on this day. Uh, We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Well, uh, a little bit over 10 years ago, uh, Gabby and I went along to a Christmas lunch uh, with my mum's side of the family. I think it was at a pub, uh, probably uh, somewhere out near Wollen Way. Uh, And we arrived at this Christmas lunch. Uh, We were told that my cousin Tom, who was 19 years old at the time, uh, probably wouldn't make it because he was having this really, really bad headache. Now, you know, people get bad headaches all the time. We didn't think too much of it. Uh, Tom, at times, was a bit of a hypochondriac. So, you know, uh, we didn't think that much of it. Uh, of course, about six months, uh, six months later, six weeks later, rather, uh, the headaches were getting so bad, Tom was rushed to hospital. And after a series of tests, he was diagnosed with a really, really big brain tumour. That's what was causing the headaches. The specialist said if it had gone, if it had grown for another couple of weeks, he probably would have died. Now, you can imagine that was an incredible shock for a whole network of people, indeed a whole network of relationships, family, friends, his whole local community, they all made massive sacrifices for the sake of Tom's treatment. Uh, they poured out their time, their money, their energy. You can imagine he had to be on trial drugs and experimental treatments uh, to try and get a cure. And all of that was very, very costly. Uh, but people willingly and joyfully made the sacrifice. Why? Well, because Tom's life was precious. I mean, how do you measure how precious someone's life is? It was worth every bit of sacrifice and this is what we all do isn't it in our lives we all make our biggest sacrifices our time uh, our money our energy we we sacrifice the most for the people or things that are most precious to us and that's what Paul's speaking to Timothy about in today's passage he's reminding him he's saying to Timothy Timothy don't be ashamed to suffer for the sake of guarding the life-giving treasure of the gospel. Don't be ashamed, Paul's saying to Timothy, to suffer, to sacrifice, to spend yourself for the sake of guarding, preserving and protecting the life-giving treasure of the gospel. So take a look at, first of all, at verses 11 and 12, uh, where Paul uh, says to Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. Follow my example of being willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Take a look there in verse 11. Paul says, and of this gospel, yeah, and of this gospel I was appointed a herald, and an apostle and a teacher. Herald, apostle and teacher. You might remember, if you scan back, if you've got 2 Timothy chapter 1 open, you'll see in verses 9 and 10 that Paul summarised his gospel message. So here in verse 11, he's saying, and of this gospel, this was my role with regard to spreading the gospel and preserving the gospel. Three aspects to Paul's role. First, he's a herald. Uh, That's a bit like the town crier in the old days on the street with a bell, proclaiming a message, or or someone on the street these days with a a, a megaphone or a microphone, proclaiming the good news of a a sale at their shop. Right? Uh, This is Paul. He is a herald of the good news of the gospel. That's part of his role. Uh, Second, he is an apostle of the gospel. Someone who personally witnessed Jesus raised from the dead and was personally sent out by Jesus to be authorised by him to speak and act on his behalf. And third, Paul's and a teacher of the gospel, a someone who was entrusted with the very words of the gospel by Jesus himself and instructs the churches in that true and sound teaching. So why is it, having already told Timothy back in verse 1, hey, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, why does Paul add the terms herald and teacher here in verse 11? Why, why does he do that? I think it's because Paul's about to say to Timothy, hey, Timothy, follow my example. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. And he wants it to be clear that this is not some special thing that only apostles are called to do. This is something, at a minimum, that all Christian leaders like Timothy are called to do, but as we'll see, it's something that's part of the Christian life for every Christian. So Timothy, who's also a herald and a teacher, even though he's not an apostle, can follow Paul's example in not being ashamed of suffering for the sake of the gospel. So in verse 12, Paul says... If you take a look at verse 12, this is why I am suffering as I am. Right? Paul knows that he's not suffering because he's a jerk. Uh, Like, you know, some Christians are like, hey, I'm suffering so much for the sake of Jesus. And you're like, no, you're just suffering because you're really unpleasant. Right? Like, But Paul says, no, 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 I'm suffering because of the gospel. And I'm suffering because I'm a herald and a teacher and an apostle of the gospel. And notice uh, that... um, Now, the next sentence that Paul says, hey, I'm not ashamed of this suffering, not ashamed of this suffering at all, he gives us two reasons why. The first is because I know who I have believed in. Who's Paul speaking about? Who has he believed in? Well, of course, in in one sense, we know as Christians we believe in in Jesus, but I think he's probably in particular has in mind his faith in God the Father here. You remember back in in verses 6 to 8, Uh, Paul was speaking about the the power of God that we can experience as Christians, the power God the Father has given us uh, as he's given us his spirit. So I think Paul in particular is speaking about the power of God his Father here. So if we keep reading verse 12, he's saying, I'm convinced that God my Father is powerful enough. God my Father is able. He has the uh, the ability to to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. What has Paul entrusted to God, his father? Uh, Some people say, hey, it's the the precious truth of the gospel. That's what Paul's entrusted to God, his father, and there's some good arguments for that. If you're interested in that, we can talk about it later on. Uh, But I think Paul's uh, speaking about uh, the fact that he's entrusted his entire life to God, his father. Why do I say that? Well, first, if you look at verse 12 closely, I think you'll see that Paul is saying that there's something precious that in a sense that belongs to him, that he has entrusted to God his Father. Like that's different to the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is something precious that belongs to God and that God entrusts to us. So there's a little bit of a different dynamic in verse 12. Paul's saying, hey, there's something precious that belongs to me. I think he's speaking about his whole life. And he's saying, I've entrusted that to God, my Father. And I think that's reiterated by the fact that Paul says, I know who I have believed in. And we know that as Christians, believing in God is not just some kind of, yes, I tick a box. You know, I believe that there's a God that exists. Believing in God is to entrust yourself to him. It's to depend upon him. It's to give your life to him. Paul's saying, I'm convinced that God my Father, who I have entrusted myself to, is able to guard and preserve and protect my life until the very end. And this is really important for Timothy. Paul's asking Timothy to join with him in suffering for the sake of the gospel, and he wants Timothy to be assured that if he does that, he's safe. We live in a culture that's almost obsessed with safety. Some people have called it safetyism, where we're just kind of obsessed with protecting ourselves from any sort of risk at all. As Christians, if you are in Christ, you are safe in the ways that matter most. You're completely secure in him, not just today but forever. Do not fear the one, Jesus says, who can take away the body, but fear the one who can take away soul as well. As Christians, we are safe in the ways that really matter. And that's what Paul wants Timothy to get a hold of. He is absolutely secure in Christ. God, his father, is able to guard him until the very end. And this is a wonderful truth for all Christians. Uh, It's a key theme in 2 Timothy. God's suffering people are secure. Uh, If you uh, skip on in in 2 Timothy, down to chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12, You'll see that Paul assures Timothy there uh, that God's people who suffer with Christ now will later reign with Christ. Yes, we might suffer for a time, but later we will reign with Christ in glory. We're secure. We have a great hope. Or if you skip on to chapter 4, verse 8, Paul expresses his confidence as he nears the end of his life and, and he says, even if I'm executed for the sake of Christ, no fear. For I will die and be with Christ, and he will give me a glorious crown of righteousness. Suffering now, but the hope of wonderful glory later on. And then in chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, Paul says, Everyone else might desert me. Indeed, everyone else probably has deserted me. But the Lord Jesus Christ will stand by my side. He will strengthen me and guard me and protect me and keep me safe until he brings me home. This is a key theme in Timothy. And this is why we must not be ashamed to suffer for the sake of Christ or the gospel. Why? For we know who we have believed in, Paul says. We know that God our Father is powerful enough. He is able to guard our lives that we've entrusted to him until the very end. And so Paul assures Timothy of his security In Christ, held by the God, uh, his Father. And then in verse 13, he calls Timothy to guard uh, the life-giving teaching of the gospel. Take a look there in verse 13. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, What you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So Paul, as an apostle of Christ, received the true and sound teaching of the gospel directly from Jesus himself, and then Paul, over the years, has taught that teaching to Timothy. Timothy's learnt it, that the pattern of sound teaching. And Paul's saying to Timothy, keep that teaching. Hold on to it. Never lose grasp of the true and sound teaching that you have heard from me. Guard it, protect it, preserve it. I say the life-giving teaching because that's what the word sound means. It means it's something that brings life and health, spiritually speaking, to individuals and to the body of Christ, which is a little bit different to how our world sees the words of the gospel. Maybe you need a little bit of a correction on this uh, that most people around us at best would see the words of the gospel uh, as being neutral Uh, but we touched on this last week most people would see the words of the gospel probably uh, as being oppressive uh, unnecessarily restricting freedom maybe even as toxic or harmful to flourishing and health and life that's not what paul says Paul says the words of the gospel are sound words, words uh, that if you take them into your life, into your heart, will bring spiritual health and growth, not just to you, but to the whole body of Christ. Uh, so Paul says to Timothy, guard the life giving teaching of the gospel. Uh, then in verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, uh, guard uh, the precious treasure of the gospel, the precious treasure. Notice verse 14. Guard the good deposit. That was entrusted to you. Uh, in calling that the gospel a good deposit, Paul's sa- reminding Timothy uh, that the gospel is something of immense value—something like a, if a king had a great treasure uh, and he would entrust it uh, as a deposit to one of his faithful servants. That, that's kind of what Paul's saying to Timothy: a God, the King over all creation, uh, has entrusted the good deposit, the precious treasure of the gospel, to you, Timothy. So guard it, preserve it, protect it. Now, often this is not how we think about the gospel, or at least it's not how we feel about the gospel. Why is the gospel so precious? Why should it feel precious, especially to those of us who say, yes, I believe the gospel? Well, I think it's because the gospel teaches us two really important things about ourselves. The first thing the gospel teaches us is that apart from Christ, spiritually speaking, all of us are terminally sick. I spoke earlier about my cousin Tom. He was diagnosed with what was expected to be a terminal brain tumour, a terminal physical sickness. It was setting him on the path to death. The words of the gospel tell us that all of us have a terminal spiritual sickness, the root cause of our spiritual sickness is our innate pride, our determination to rule our own lives, and to get rid of God and His rule, and to be our own little kings. You know, at Christmas time, maybe some of you opened up a little Christmas cracker and you put on your crown. You can imagine that's what every human being on the planet is like every day, walking around with our own little crowns on, saying we are rulers. This is the root cause of our spiritual sickness. For In determining ourselves to be rulers of our own lives, we cut ourselves off from God, the king over all creation, who is the source of all spiritual health and growth and life. And so spiritually speaking, we are terminally sick, destined for certain death and God's judgment. That's the path that we're on, apart from Christ. That's what the gospel says tells us the bad news of the good news of the gospel. But the gospel also tells us that the death and resurrection of Jesus is our only hope of life, the only possible cure for our spiritual sickness. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins that you might be reunited with God the Father through faith in Jesus, his Son, filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and experiencing the spiritual life and health and growth that comes from that, this is the only possible cure for our spiritual sickness. The only cure. That is why the gospel is so, so precious. I mean, imagine if, like my cousin Tom, you also went along to a doctor uh, and you, the doctor said, uh, look, uh, um, I'm really sorry. We're, we've done all the tests. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you actually do have cancer. And if you don't start taking this particular medication immediately, you're probably, the prognosis isn't good. Like you've probably got three, four, maybe six months to live, and that's it. Of course, the medication she recommends is so expensive uh, to be on that medication for six months. You'll have to sell, get rid of all of your savings basically and sell everything else you own. That's a a big cost. As you think about it, you realise that everything else you own is worthless if you're going to die. So you willingly... Sell everything you own to get that medication. this This is what's happened. In a moment, when you heard the diagnosis of just how serious your physical sickness was, that medication became more precious to you than anything in the world. You would give up everything for it. And I think that's what happens when you understand the gospel really, really deeply and profoundly. You understand that you're not just a little bit messed up and you need a little bit of self-improvement, a bit of, you know, Jesus to give you a bit of spiritual coaching. No, no, no. The gospel says we are terminally, terminally sick. And our only cure is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is why it makes sense for Paul to say, Timothy, Timothy, Suffer for the sake of the... Why would you tell someone? Be prepared to give up your life for the sake of something that's in the same category as Dr. Phil and Oprah and some other self-help person that you can buy on Amazon, you know? Like, you wouldn't tell someone that. But something that is the only possible cure for the terminal spiritual sickness that every human being on the planet has, that is worth suffering for. So what does it actually mean for us to suffer for the sake of guarding the gospel? What does it mean to guard the gospel? It means uh, to uh, ensure, as far as we can, that the message of the gospel is not twisted or distorted or confused or diluted, watered down, uh, that it's not obscured in any way, that we get the gospel right and clear and true. Now, you might be like, yeah, that's typical of a Presbyterian, right? You're always on about getting right doctrine, getting things correct. You know, like that's what you Presbyterians are all about. But this is not just about being a Presbyterian, right? It's a key, key component of being a Christian, right? Paul himself says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Uh, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel to you uh, that is different from the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying if you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning and an angel from heaven appears in the church and preaches a gospel that is different from the apostolic gospel that you have in the Bible, let that angel be eternally condemned. It's a really, really big deal in Paul's mind that the gospel is guarded and preserved and protected as it is. Why is it such a big deal? Because it's about eternity. People's lives depend on it. Again, the the, the kind of connection with physical sickness helps a bit. Like if my cousin Tom went along to the doctor uh, with his bad headaches... Imagine how disastrous it would have been if they misdiagnosed the problem. Oh, you seem to be getting some migraines. Uh, that's our diagnosis. Uh, go and see the osteopath and here's some Panadol. Well, the consequences of an incorrect diagnosis and treatment are disastrous when it comes to terminal physical sickness. It's the same with the terminal spiritual sickness that all of us have. Paul knows that when it comes to this terminal sickness, getting the accurate diagnosis and treatment is critical. So the gospel must not be messed with. The gospel is the only message that tells us clearly and plainly what our spiritual problem actually is. Our spiritual problem is that we are all sinners. Like, that's a bit abrupt, isn't it? It's a bit in your face. It's a bit hard to stomach, but it's true. And it's part of the message that must not be manipulated or obscured or confused or distorted. Or else we send people away uh, with a packet of Panadol and a visit to the osteopath for something that's much deeper than that. Getting the accurate diagnosis is critical and the accurate treatment is critical. It's not a message of self-improvement it's a message that the only possible cure is clinging to the death and resurrection of Jesus as your only possible hope of life i hope you're starting to see how it makes sense that paul would call timothy and call us to he says do not be ashamed to suffer for the sake of guarding the life-giving treasure of the gospel the gospel is precious how might we guard the life-giving treasure of the gospel here at DPC? I think we can do it by knowing the gospel and passing on the gospel. So first, we can guard the gospel together by knowing the gospel. Uh, if you go to a uh, market, let's say it's uh, you know, Queen Victoria Market, uh, and there's a, a watch of a, of a particular brand, you know, uh, there's a Rolex watch. And you think, gee, that watch, it's so cheap for a Rolex. Of course, you discover that it's a fake, right? But the only way that you can tell if it's a fake Rolex is if you know what real Rolexes look like, but The only way we can be good at identifying false gospels is if we know really well what the true gospel sounds like, what the true gospel looks like. So that's something that each of us as individuals, we've got to kind of take responsibility for that ourselves. Right? Filling our hearts and our minds with the true teaching of the gospel, uh, in whichever way we do that, personal Bible reading, listening to sermons, listening to songs that speak about the gospel, whatever it is, fill your heart and your mind with the true teaching of the gospel so that you individually can identify the, true gosp- uh, the false gospels and, and call them out and correct them and, and point them out to other people. This is also a responsibility of leaders in the church. So in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, these groups of letters, Paul speaks quite often about the role of elders in the church who have the responsibility of teaching the sound and true teaching of the gospel and correcting false gospels. So we need to pray here at DPC that God would raise up more men who could do the role of elders in the church who could teach sound doctrine and correct false doctrine. I think there'll be some eldership training later in the year, so please be praying about that. This is also why it's really important to... uh, We encourage every adult, really, here at DPC to do their best to be in a gospel community or maybe in a connect group, a smaller group of people, because we recognise that when it comes to the gospel, we're really, really forgetful. You come to church and you get all fired up for the gospel, uh, and then you kind of, you know, go out to the car. And on the way to the car, one of the kids is screaming, and you know you have a fight with your husband or wife, and you think about work stresses the next day, and whatever it is. And before you, by the time you get to the car, you're like, "Am I even a Christian?" You know, maybe not quite like that, but like we're really forgetful when it comes to these things. And so we encourage people to be in a gospel community during the week where you can remind one another of the truths of the gospel and know the gospel more clearly and personally. Right? Knowing the gospel together is a key way for us to guard the gospel. Now, the second thing we can do uh, to guard the gospel is to pass it on. Now, sometimes we think guarding the gospel, it's all about being on the defensive, you know, oh, get away from the gospel, don't mess up with it, right? But actually, the more people we can multiply who know the gospel clearly, the more people who are empowered to guard the gospel. So passing on the gospel to other people is a really important way to guard the gospel. Now, if you're someone, if you're a Christian and you believe the gospel yourself, but you're like, I don't really know how to share the gospel with someone else or to pass it on to someone else, I want to encourage you, I hope that when Alicia comes back from work tomorrow morning, uh, that there's 20 emails uh, from people saying, hey, Alicia, Alicia coordinates our mission ministries at DPC, so you can say to Alicia, Alicia, I'm really keen to learn how to pass on the gospel to other people. Uh, Can you please help me do that? Alicia would love to come back uh, to that list of emails. Uh, We can guard the gospel together by knowing the gospel and passing on the gospel. Now, this could all feel like um, the fate of gospel ministry around the world is dependent on us. Right? If we don't guard the gospel, well, that's it. You know, the church is messed. It's, it's screwed. You know? So verse 14, it's important to remember that God has given us the help of his Holy Spirit. Notice the end of verse 14. It's not all about us. I've got to remember that the gospel belongs to to God and he will do what it takes by the power of his spirit to guard the truth of his gospel. Uh, He will not let it be distorted or or, uh, confused beyond repair. Yes, that might happen in a a church here or a church there, uh, but overall the gospel will be guarded and preserved and the church will grow. Well, finally, in verses 15 to 18, Paul uh, urges Timothy uh, to uh, follow the example uh, of a guy named uh, who I'm sure we all know lots about, Anisiphorus, uh, but Anisiphorus, uh who was not ashamed to suffer for the gospel. Uh, first, Paul uh, talks about those who were ashamed. Notice in verse 15, he says, You know, Timothy, that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, uh, including Phygelus and Homogenes. The province of Asia, that's modern-day Western Turkey, and the capital of the province of Asia was Ephesus, where Timothy was serving as the pastor. So when Paul says, Timothy, you know that all these people have deserted me, Timothy really, really knows. Like, this has been happening in his neighbourhood. A mass walking away, apostasy is the word, you know, people walking away from Christ and the gospel. And Timothy's known about this, and he's known that this group of people have been led uh, by two people, two men who used to be close friends of Paul's, Phygelus and Hermogenes. They were probably partners in the gospel with Timothy, too. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, if even men like Phygelus and Hermogenes, who, who really seem to kind of be kicking goals in, in the Christian life, if even they can walk away. From Christ and the gospel. Uh, they can be ashamed to suffer for the gospel. Timothy, don't think that's beyond you, Paul's saying. Acknowledge your weakness before God and ask Him to strengthen you to stand firm for Christ like Anisaphorus. Verses 16 to 18. Notice verse 16 and verse 18, the kind of bookends of this little section. Uh, Paul says, I pray that the Lord would show mercy to Anisiphorus and his family. It's in verse 16 and verse 18, and in the middle we find out why Paul wants the Lord to show mercy to Anisiphorus. It's because he was not ashamed to suffer for the sake of the gospel. At the end of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 19, we see that Anisiphorus and his family lived in Ephesus. They were probably a part of Timothy's church. Uh, but here at the end of chapter 1, we see Anisiphorus uh, knows that Paul's in prison in Rome. He goes to Rome. Uh, he searches hard to find him. You know, in Rome, it wasn't just that there was kind of the local prison and, and all, it was a well laid out kind of thing. They had kind of catacombs and kind of uh, like, like lots of kind of dungeons underneath the city. And so Anisiphorus had to search long and hard until he found Paul in his prison cell. And Paul says to Timothy, Anisiphorus is a great example of someone who was not ashamed to suffer for the sake of the gospel. He really spent himself, his time, his money, his energy, his reputation in being associated with Paul while he was in prison. He gave up a whole lot for the sake of the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, follow the example of men like Anisiphorus. So I started today, and I've mentioned a few times, my, my cousin Tom, uh, who was diagnosed with with a brain tumour. Uh, almost really miraculously, he, uh, after all sorts of treatment, he went into a remission, and he's still alive. Wonderful. But that, that whole idea of a whole community, a whole network of people making really massive sacrifices, why? Because Tom's life... Was immeasurably precious. Like, how much sacrifice do you make for the sake of preserving someone's life? A, a, a whole lot. Right? And Paul's saying to Timothy, he's saying to us in today's passage that the gospel is immeasurably precious. Now, the gospel won't just save the life of my cousin, but the life of myriads of people across the planet. The gospel is a priceless treasure that God has entrusted to us and it must be guarded even at great cost. So we're called to not be ashamed to suffer for the sake of the gospel, which is really, really hard. I understand that. In part it's hard because I think we, we kind of accept that suffering and sacrifice is part of the Christian life But we do sort of also think that we need to make the most of this life. And so we think at some point, you will suffer and sacrifice too much for the sake of the gospel to the point that you'll end up missing out in this life. Uh, There used to be that acronym. I'm not really on social media much these days. Does anyone still use FOMO? No fear of missing out. Maybe that's kind of so 10 years ago. So, but you know, fear of missing out. Whether the acronym gets used on social media or not, it's still like we do have this fear, don't we? If I, I mean, I'll I'll sacrifice this much, but not too much, or else I might miss out in this life. Of course, the truth is, if you know Christ through believing the good news of Christ, you have everything. You have a priceless treasure. Jesus says as much in Matthew chapter thirteen. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, uh, he uh, hid it again. Uh, and then in his joy, what is that word joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying if you know the king of God's kingdom... If you know Christ through believing the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel, then you really do have everything. You have an incredibly priceless treasure. And Jesus is actually teaching. He's saying, enjoy, willingly. You can give up everything for the sake of the treasure you have in knowing me. What is that treasure? It's forgiveness and freedom and peace and hope and joy and purpose. These are just some of the blessings that we have in knowing Christ. When you understand that the gospel and knowing Christ through the gospel is a priceless treasure, you really will say, as we're going to sing in a bit, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thou and thou always. Thou, my my inheritance, now and always, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. When the high king of heaven really is your treasure, you won't be ashamed to suffer for the sake of guarding the life-giving treasure of his gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, It does challenge us. It challenges uh, the things that are closest to our hearts, the things that we love, the things that are precious to us. We pray, Father, that um, that you would uh, help us by the power of your spirit to contemplate our own hearts and to consider where our Lord Jesus Christ and the great treasure of his gospel are uh, with regard to our hearts and minds. And we pray that we might come to see and feel and experience the gospel uh, to be a life-giving treasure. That Christ and his gospel would be more precious to us than anything. For we know that in him and in the gospel we've found our only hope of life. And so we pray, Father, that that would move us to spend ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.